it made a huge difference um, just specializing in one niche. Um, and then I guess probably with all channels, there's one or two videos that kind of goes a little bit viral and that becomes your kind of centerpiece that brings people in. So I did a video of 50 nomad job ideas and it's just me just saying 50 things. <laughs> um, you know, I don't really have time to explain them very much in the video because I didn't want the video to be 10 hours long. So I kind of just say, website developer, graphic designer. Um, and that video performed really well because I think people are just so, what even is a digital nomad? It's not something I can do, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to give a list to give people ideas and they can be like, oh, wait, I'm an estate agent and that was on her list. So I guess I can be a nomad. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 207 of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex Chisnell. And on today's show, I welcome Louise Croft, a full-time digital nomad for over four years now, who's lived in America, Asia, South America, and now Georgia. She travels the world with her husband, meeting up with other digital nomads and working along the way. How is she able to do this? Well, Louise is a very successful course creator on Udemy, where she's taught over 100,000 students online. She's also a professional fashion blogger, freelance PR, life coach, entrepreneur, and when she does visit the UK, my neighbor. Many know her through her popular YouTube channel, Digital Nomad Girl. I've been intrigued to find out more about Louise and share her story of traveling and teaching with you, the Screw It, Just Do It community, for a long time. So I decided to jump on a call and get her to come in from snowboarding in the Georgian mountains to tell us more. During this episode, we talk about earning a full-time income online from anywhere in the world, documenting your journey, warts and all, and sharing it online, and why everybody has got a course inside them. Let's start up. As with everything new, there's kind of a range of definitions. Some people don't like to be labeled, you know, all that stuff. Um, but I call myself a digital nomad. Um, and essentially, to me, what it means is that you have total freedom over where you are physically located. So all of my work is online. Um, and I think of it as like work from home, except if I had a boss, they wouldn't know where my home was. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyone who's working from home and never goes into an office, if they wanted to travel as well, then I, I would say they could call themselves a digital nomad. So what it normally means is that people 
move countries every one, two, three months, depending on their appetite for travel. Um, some people move more, some people move less. Some people have like an apartment in Thailand where they base themselves out of and they kind of bounce around from there. Some people are totally remote. Um, some people have full-time jobs where their boss, like I said, it's kind of like work from home, yeah. but some people are freelancers. Some people run their own companies. So really any job where your location is irrelevant to your income. Um, and so that's what we do. So location independent. Yeah. Interesting. Amazing. There's, there's sort of some crossover between location independent and digital nomad. And, you know, mm. some people think they're the same as people think they're different. I kind of think digital nomad means you're nomadic. So I think kind of by definition, you should be moving relatively often. Yeah. Whereas location independent says to me, I have a job where I can be anywhere, but I choose to live in England full time. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, you are independent of your location, but you're not really doing anything specifically with it. Whereas digital nomad, I kind of think you have to be a bit nomadic to say that. And you said um, earlier that there were about seven of you at the moment. So when you say seven of us, um, who are these other people? Where do they come from? How do you all get to know each other and end up in the same place at the same time? Yeah, well, so... We've been nomads now for about five, six years. Um, so we've met people all over the world and we've kind of got this like network now of people who we know we get along with and we all have a similar mindset. So whenever we're going somewhere or whenever we're not sure where to go next, we kind of hit up all our friends and see where they're going to be and if anybody wants to join up and cross over. Um, and so at the moment, we are there's me and my husband, so we're both British. We obviously almost always travel together. Um, and then we've got... One of our friends from South Africa, who we travel with a lot on and off, um, he's a developer. Um, then we got someone from Australia, who I'm doing an Amazon business with, who we met in Belgrade. Um, we've got one of my husband's friends from university has just recently become a digital nomad. So he's kind of six months in and he's come out to kind of get exposed to a few more experienced people, I guess. Um, so he's British. Then we've got two Americans. Um, and one of them does SEO and one of them is an author. And we met them through friends in Australia, but it all gets pretty blurry where you met people by the end of the day. <laughs> it must do. It must do. I think um, this needed to have been invented when I finished university. Oh, I'm so thankful my... to be born in this in this time because it's amazing the opportunities that we have. It's dead fun. Yeah, it's, it's funny because like when I because we both went to university in Bath at the very different different times, but yeah. um, I, I went straight into into travel. But I was literally just like, how can I see the world for free? And at that time, um, I didn't know anything like this existed. So I joined Virgin Atlantic and you know got paid to stay in a different country every single week for 16 years of of my life but um awesome. did, didn't have like the blocks of, of travel that um that you did but I, I definitely think I would have been uh tempted to to go down this route if I'd if, if it existed at that time um can you kind yeah. of trace back to when people started building these communities since I guess the world came online yeah I mean it depends I guess it's kind of always been pretty gradual. So like, like you were saying, you traveled for work when you first started out. And like my mum, when she graduated, she was a radiographer. So taking x-rays and she went 
Um, she had enough money to get to Australia and then she got a job as a radiographer there till she had enough money to come home. And so that's kind of like a very early Mm. nomad, um, like a kind of temporary expat, I suppose you could also think of us as. Um, but of course, you know, she was just sending letters home to her parents, like Uh (laughs) not giving away her age, but things have changed very quickly in a short amount of time. So, um, yeah, I suppose it's kind of on a spectrum and, like I said, we've been doing it for about six years. We were reasonably early, I think. So I'd say probably 10 years. It's been like a, right. a full-time, viable, accessible thing. Mm. Um, I'm sure there was always people who had a kind of clever workaround with their boss where they could live abroad. But yeah. I think this ability to move so regularly and not just be an expat in a more traditional sense is still reasonably new. And where what for you was the the moment or a series of moments that made you decide you wanted to stop what you were doing in the UK and go down this path? Yeah, um, I guess everyone's story for this is kind of different. A lot of people have some big revelation moment. Mm. Um, for me, I was working um, for a charity in Dorset um, and I was doing... Uh, kind of interior design. I'd invented a job that is not a real job, which was a charity shop consultant um, because I'm very passionate about thrifting and secondhand. And I knew that thrift shops in the UK were much less innovative than ones in America or around the world. So I really wanted to update them. Um, So I was doing that kind of as an external contractor consultant person. And I was really enjoying it, but I'd been there for nine months and I was starting to feel like I was getting a bit rinse and repeat with the work. Mm. Um, You know, I do up one shop and it was amazing. And then I would just do up another shop and it was kind of the same process. So at that point, um, my husband, Ed, who then was just my boyfriend, was um, a developer and he was living in London and he was thinking, you know, he had absolutely no money living in London, living in this absolute like dive of a place. Mm. And he suddenly thought, why am I here? Because all my work is online. And so I don't need to be here. Um, so he thought he'd invented this thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> being a digital nomad uh. where you move abroad. So he and his friend decided to go to Estonia for a bit because um, it was the summer. So it was really warm, really cheap, very easy to get to from the UK. So they went there for a little while. And I was kind of watching, thinking that looks interesting. <laughs> um, and then they went to San Francisco for a couple of months. And I went out to visit and he discovered this whole community of people out there who were um not nomads, but just startup people who'd gone to San Francisco to kind of try and make a go of it. Um, And then we discovered this website called Nomad List, which is a website where they rank all the cities in the world for how good they are for nomads. So how safe they are, how cheap they are, how good the Wi-Fi is, um, how good the weather is, whether it's welcoming to women, you know, all that Mm. kind of stuff. And they were like, oh, Nomad List, what's a nomad? Um, Looked it up and discovered it's kind of what they were already doing and discovered it had a name um and then the top of nomad list at the time was chiang mai in thailand and so ed said to me i'm gonna go to thailand next and i was like hell no i'm going to thailand (laughs) (laughs) um so i decided to quit what i was doing um in the charity and just jump on a plane and go to thailand as well we kind of pretty much did um a couple of months out there and I had no idea what I was going to do for online work. The work that I was doing in the charity was very offline. It was mm. very physical, very in real life. Um, but I just thought if we go to the center of the world where all the nomads are, then we'll come up with something. And we did. Oh, I see. And when you, you've, you finished uni and you went into work, you did a, 
am I right? You did a mix of like kind of PR journalism routes. Um, that was actually when I was um, as a nomad. So straight ah, out of university, okay. I started a kind of a charity shop, I suppose. So um, I was getting clothes donated from friends and family rather than take it down to the high street. I took it for them. And then I was selling it on university campuses as like a pop-up shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so my idea was to kind of make thrifting like younger and cooler and more curated and more fashionable. Um, so I was doing that in like student unions. Um, and then from that, that was obviously like very physical driving around the country, you know, basically running a fancy market stall. Yeah. Um, so that was when I transitioned kind of in-house into a charity where I'd have a bit more freedom with budget and creativity and I was doing the physical shops. Um, so yeah, I was fully just going down the charity shop route, which is something that I'm still very passionate about. Um, but yeah, then starting a totally fresh slate as a nomad, that's how I got into PR because oh, I, I was see. just looking for ways I could make money with the existing skills that I had, which was almost none. <laughs> <laughs> And and how did you get started with that then? Did you start approaching different brands to work with or did people approach you? Um, yeah, good question. How did I get started? I think it was just kind of friends of friends in the network. Like, you know, some of my dad's friends needed some stuff and then they told other people and it was just bits and pieces. And um, my husband was running a startup which – um, was a kind of mailing list for small businesses. And so I think he mentioned in one of the newsletters, like, oh, if you need small business PR, like most people can't afford to hire a professional PR firm. So they hired me to do bits and pieces like that. And it kind of just came quite organically. And the journalism story was a really funny one because I I don't remember how, but I got some press in the Daily Mail about my fashion blog um and my fashion blog is all secondhand clothes back to the charity shop thing Mm -hmm. so they wanted to feature me in an article about you know secondhand fashion um and so that went on and then once I was in there you quite often then get contacted by lots of other publications they all watch each other and they kind of do each Mm -hmm. other's stories so then I got contacted by the mirror who said like oh you know we really liked your piece in the daily mail but would you like to be interviewed or would you like to write the article and get paid? And I was like, definitely the second one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I get paid and I can control what's said about me. Like Mm. that's an obvious win. So I did that for them. And then they said to me, actually, do you want to do a couple of articles a month, just about whatever you want? Um, You know, pitch us some ideas and we'll pay you for it. So that's how I accidentally became a journalist for about a year. That's a great story. (laughs) Yeah. it's. I feel like a lot of it is just saying yes to things that, you don't really know how to do. Like I would not call myself a journalist. I know people have whole degrees in this stuff, but they asked me to do it and they know what they're looking for. And they obviously liked what I wrote. So I was like, okay, I'll say yes to that. It's funny, isn't it? How you end up discovering things and what to do. It really is. Mm. Uh, and, mm. and the fact that everybody realizes that at the end of the day, everybody's winging it to start with anyway. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and from now, what would you say that you are you full time making courses on Udemy or do you still do um, some PR? You've got your blog, etc. Tell me a little bit more about where things are at the moment. Yeah. So I guess we kind of didn't quite cover the transition there, which is where um, I moved to Chiang Mai and I thought I'll just ask everybody I meet what they do for online income and I'll see if anything jumps out of something that I think I could do. Um, So yeah, I was doing bits and pieces of freelancing and PR and journalism and stuff just to like pay the bills. Um, 
which is why everybody goes to Thailand because the bills, quote unquote, is, you know, like $500 a month. So I would write a couple of articles a month and I'd be like, great, I can afford my rent and food and what should I do with the rest of my time? And so I spoke to tons of nomads doing all kinds of different things, like professional voiceover artists, obviously software developers, graphic designers, um, people working for charities, people selling their own products online, like so many different things. Um, but I met someone who was making online courses and they said to me, you should make a course, Louise. I already had a blog um, and a YouTube channel. So I was already very comfortable in front of the camera. Um, I come from a family of teachers, so I love to teach. Um, I think I'm pretty clear about explaining things. And she said to me, quite rightly, Louise, you should make online courses. And I was quite nervous about it at first. And I was thinking, what am I going to teach? You know, I was only 22 or something. Like, what am I an expert in? Mm. Um and so she already had a bunch of courses. And so she suggested we make the first course together. And we did styling um, for everyday women. So not kind of crazy red carpet styling, just how to know your body type, know colors that suit you, and just to how to feel good in what you wear. And I thought, okay, I could speak about that. <laughs> um, and so we made a course together. And then after that, I was just totally hooked. And so I made a few courses on my own um, for things that I knew about. But as I said, I was really young. And so I didn't know much about about anything. So I decided I'd be better off making courses for other people. Um, so people who are experts in their field, but who don't have the time or the knowledge to make an online course yeah. could partner with me. And then they would be the expertise and I would be everything else. <laughs> I see. So, ah. Yeah. So my idea was that they just have to sit in front of the camera with me for two or three hours, talk about something that they already know. Mm. Um, and then that's their only commitment. They just have, you know, half a day and then I'll do all the editing and the thumbnail and the descriptions and the downloadable workbooks and all of that kind of stuff. I would do everything. And so before they know it, they have an online passive income, which is paying out to them every month. Yeah. So that was the idea. Uh -huh. How long ago was that compared to now January, end of January, 2020? Yeah, um, it was it was the first thing that I did. So it's been, I guess, at least five years now that I've been doing that. So at the moment, I don't even know how many courses I've got. I think about 40 courses 40. Um, mm. with a ton of different instructors, um, a ton of different niches. So it's really varied. And how much, how many of those are, are your courses or have you completely stopped doing your own courses and you just help other people? Um, I'm in about maybe five of them, okay. um, but pretty much all of them are partnerships uh, with other people where I'm not in it because um, I just really don't know about enough things. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's funny, though, because um, I know we talked uh, online briefly about this, but, you know, since then, I, I totally get it now. And I've, you know, got um, my podcast course but it's um, at this point in time recording this, I've still got two chapters to do and I've kind of been forced to do it as I've gone along. Right. And I was helping um, a startup whose platform was uh, a new audio learning platform and yeah. um, got me to essentially be their first course without me even realising it. They somehow, you know, cleverly <laughs> segued me into that and it's, Bloody, I totally get it. It is so hard to fit it in with um, everything else that you've got going on, going on in your life, um, mm. especially, you know, having just launched this podcast agency and, and it's literally 
gone crazy. Everybody wants a podcast made for them, you know, in yeah. in 2020. Um, That's a good problem to have. It, it is a good problem to have, 100%. Um, <laughs> but I can totally see, you know, the sense in actually sitting down and, you know, like blocking out half a day or whatever and getting it done rather than me trying to eke out you know, uh, half an hour here in an evening, an hour at a weekend, yeah. and it's just um, nearly killed me, I have to say. It's been quite yeah. stressful um, doing it. And it's just, you know, version 1.0 at the end of the day anyway. And, there, you know, I can obviously improve on that moving forward. But um, has – so your YouTube channel, has that built up alongside making the courses or has that been totally separate? Because your YouTube channel has got quite a lot of subscribers. Yeah, yeah, I'm up to about 26,000 now, um, which is pretty cool. Mm. So yeah, my YouTube kind of happened organically. I have had a fashion blog for a really long time, like I said. Um, and I started to realize that I wasn't really reading blogs anymore. I was only watching YouTube. So I thought, okay, I should produce the same as I consume. Yeah. Um, so I decided to move over to YouTube. Um, and so at that point, my YouTube channel was about secondhand fashion like ethical clothing a bit of makeup all that kind of thing and then I became a nomad and so then I wasn't shopping anywhere near as much um we only have one suitcase of stuff with us so I couldn't do very many like makeup tutorials because it's the same stuff every time (laughs) um and I was starting to include more travel content just naturally because I was traveling and then I started to include some business content because it's something that I was excited about and really immersed in and then I thought this channel is getting really confusing. I need to choose what I'm going to commit to. Yeah. And so I decided to go down the nomad route because um, now there's quite a few channels about it. But at the time, there was almost none. And the ones that were there were mostly American guys. And um, a lot of them were actually a bit dishonest. They were kind of selling the dream. Yeah. Um, and so. So I wanted to do one that was really transparent, that said the pros and cons, gave people really, really practical advice. Um and yeah, just kind of laid out the truth of being a nomad and inspired people of how amazing it was, but also inspired people of how easy it was for them to attain it as well. So that's what I did. So that's when I changed it to Digital Nomad Girl, which is what it is now. Um, and yeah, I've been doing a video a week for several years now, I guess pretty much my whole nomad journey is probably about four, maybe five years. Um, and it's been a really cool journey. I've met lots of cool people. I often meet people now um, at nomad events who say that they became a nomad because of my channel. So that's exactly the reason I started it. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. Like with, with, with a podcast, you know, like when I go to live events and um, people say, oh, I've started a podcast, you know, I listened to yours and thought that I, I can do, I can do yeah. that. And, uh, yeah, that, that's totally the reason that you get into something and that's like the, the reward. Um, and, and did your channel then take off subscriber-wise? Because it must be so difficult to actually, I think, to start now in YouTube in like 2020 um, and actually build a following. Did yours take off because you focused in on the one subject, do you think? Yeah, it made a huge difference right. um, yeah. to specializing in one niche. Um, and then I guess probably with all channels, there's one or two videos that kind of goes a little bit viral and that becomes your kind of centerpiece that brings people in. Yes. Yeah. So I did a video of 50 nomad job ideas and it's just me just saying 50 things. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I don't really have time to explain them very much in the video because I didn't want the video to be 10 hours long. Mm. So I kind of just say 
website developer, graphic designer. Um, and that video performed really well because I think people are just so what even is a digital nomad? It's not something I can do, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to give a list to give people ideas and they can be like, oh, wait, I'm an estate agent and that was on her list. So I guess I can be a nomad. So Mm. that was my first video that really started taking off. And then weirdly, I guess this is an example of just saying yes to stuff. Um, A lecturer in Thailand from a university messaged me and said, I really like your 50 nomad jobs video could you make a longer version for me that I could show in lectures? Um, and he paid me for it. And he said, can I can I split it down into kind of five more detailed videos? So I was like, okay, I can do that. That'd be pretty cool to be shown in a lecture to students. Mm. Um, but I said to him, would it be okay if I also put it on my channel? Like, can it be non-exclusive even though you're buying the content? He said, that'd be fine. Um, so it's always worth negotiating for these things. And I <laughs> thought, well, at least then you know, it takes up some of my time, but at least I can put it on my channel. It'll be some content. And so I split the 50 into five different sections. And one of the sections was um, digital nomad jobs with no skills, um, which is a slightly inflammatory title, I know. Um, (laughs) But it was a little bit deliberate. And the reason that I wanted to do a video about that was because some of these jobs, you need to have a degree in it, or you need to learn a whole new skill, or you need to kind of have years of development. But some of the jobs you can just do straight from day one. And maybe you won't make very much money on day one, but at least you can start. Um, And so then that video has become, I think, my most watched video. And it almost didn't even go on my channel. It was only because I thought to ask him like, oh, can it be non-exclusive? I know that's a bit cheeky. And then that's become one of my main like kind of lead funnel videos so you never really know what's going to spring into your inbox it's a weird world and and have you found then that w- when you started out with the idea of just wanting to to, to sh- share the story of your of your journey traveling and working um there wasn't any intent that um i'm setting up a channel to because you'd already set it up as a, as a fashion blog but you, you weren't setting up i want to monetize this but it's literally the organic path that you you've gone down now because of the different things that you do people will see that video and that's where you get as you as you say like different leads for um different partnerships that you you'll work on yeah absolutely and i think um i think there's nothing wrong with starting a channel as a business but for me it's always been kind of deliberately not a business. Um, For me, it's very much just a hobby. And I run so many other businesses (laughs) um, that I've kind of deliberately tried to keep YouTube as a hobby. And for me, that's meant that I've been able to keep it quite pure, I guess. I haven't had to think too much about which keywords are going to take off and should I be a bit more clickbaity and, Mm. you know, should I put a bikini shot in the thumbnail or whatever? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And should I do more sponsored videos, even with brands that I don't particularly like? And so I have really separated out in my mind because I'm very competitive and I'm very like um, ambitious. So if I decided to make it a business, I think I would get way too deep into it and I'd get really into the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I've deliberately kept it as a hobby and I just make videos that I want to make. And if nobody watches them, then that's fine. But luckily they do. Um, And so I've tried to keep it as a separate creative outlet. Um, And I think it's quite hard for people at the moment to separate 
it's hard for us to have something that is just a hobby. Um, you know, if you tell people you like knitting, then they're like, oh, you should sell it on Etsy and it can be yeah. a side hustle. And I think it's quite precious sometimes to keep things just as a hobby. And, you know, I just knit for fun. Mm. <laughs> and at the moment, that's a bit of a weird thing to say to people. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I totally get that. And, you know, a lot of the questions I get are star around, you know, monetizing a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, you can just start it because you're passionate about talking about rugby or, um, you know, gardening or, or whatever it yeah. might be. But equally, you can you can literally go, um, I'm starting this podcast because I want to get sponsored by um, Red Bull or, you know, yeah. whatever. And I want to make m- money out of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, t- totally get and that. I think- I think it's quite good to choose one or the other because if it's going to be a business, you need to be really smart about it Um, and you have to be a bit detached and you have to contact brands that you want to work with and be proactive about all that kind of thing. And so for me, I needed it to be either a hobby or a business. Um, And I think people can get a bit too blurred between the two and they get a bit too emotionally attached to something which is supposed to be a business or vice versa. Mm, Good point. Good point. Um, And do you still think that there is a scope for people who would want to start a YouTube channel in 2020 and without spending a vast amount of money on, on paid ads, they could, uh, you know, actually build a community of people who are interested in, in watching what they, uh, what they put out. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do. I think you just need to be, you need to treat it as a business and, it's obviously going to be something that you're passionate about because that's why you're starting a YouTube channel. But I think I know people who do YouTube full time with like 50,000 subscribers. Mm. And then I know people who make zero money from 200,000 subscribers. And so I think really, it's, really? I think it, it's a business if you want it to be, but you have to think about it that way. So you need to be pursuing brands. You need to be studying the keywords. You need to be like AB testing your thumbnails. Um, mm. And obviously with every business, choosing the right niche is so important. I think you can fail on day one um, by choosing the wrong niche. And I know that, for example, YouTube really like it if you release content every day. So possibly when you launch your channel, you might want to do 30 days of content Mm. straight off the bat um, to give your channel that real boost. And YouTube does very much snowball. If you get one video taking off, then they really put you to the front of lots of other pages. And so if it starts working, you need to be ready to drop everything and really double down on that Mm. and create basically identical videos around the same topic and use the same hashtags and get YouTube to be like, oh, people liked this, they'll like this next one. And so there's tons of tools out there and online courses that will teach you how to do YouTube. So yeah, I definitely think it can still be a business today. Um, But I just think people see YouTube as a hobby and then they kind of try and do it as a business and it's not going to grow if you do it that way i think you have to treat it seriously Mm. it's funny i did a um careers day at my daughter's school and i remember so many of the kids who came and they were all you know under um under under 10 years old and it's so funny like the amount of people who came up to me um and i said so you know so so what do you want to do when you when you grow up or you know when you're older I want to be a YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, I heard it's overtaken footballer now as the most really? like, desirable job wow. for kids. Yeah, I believe Which it. Which is pretty stunning, isn't it? Yeah, this, this is boys, as you know, you know, but equal yeah. sexes right across the board. Yeah, um, I just found it incredible, um, and 
And somebody somebody then said to me, and can you imagine doing um, doing that again in, in 10 years time? And there will be jobs that they'll be telling you that aren't even jobs now. How crazy is that? You know, yeah, in a decade, you just think, well, yeah. you know, machine learning and all that kind of stuff going on. You just think, <laughs> I, can, I can see where it's going. But um, that, that was interesting. I mean, have you not been tempted yourself then? Um, so you've you kept yours to a weekly um, vlog. Yeah. And you haven't been tempted then to go... Let's, you know, let's go daily. I know. Um, I've done, I did Vlogmas, which people might not know is a daily video in December. It's kind of a thing that a lot of YouTubers do. I did Vlogmas um, last year. Well, I guess the year before last now, technically, 2018 December. Um, and it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Normally Vlogmas people vlog every day, um, but that is very stressful for people because you're filming right up until the evening and it needs to go up the next morning. Yeah. So people always get sick doing Vlogmas <laughs> because you're editing all night or whatever so I decided to do a different take on it and I had about half of the videos pre-filmed as like informational videos um and then the other half were vlogs so it gave me a lot more like time to sleep yeah <laughs> um and it was really fun I enjoyed the creative challenge but um because I'm not super into I actually wouldn't want 100,000 subscribers for example um because of the effect it has on your lifestyle mm. so I quite like having a community at the moment, which is big enough that I can be really proud of it and I can reach a lot of people um, and I can have an impact on people who didn't have the confidence to become nomads before. But it's also not so big that there's people who aren't super interested in the niche. I don't really get any negativity because people who find my channel are people who are interested in it. Yeah. So I'm quite fortunate at this size that I have a big community, but it's a community of like targeted, interested people. So I like it like this. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, do you get messages from people, you know, asking your advice, asking for help, uh, that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, I do. And it's mm. really interesting how much, um, uh, I don't know, quality is kind of the wrong word, but almost how much the quality of the messages vary. <laughs> you know, some people are just saying, hi, please tell me how to make a million dollars. And other people are like, oh, I've watched all your different videos. Here's some specific questions I have. Like, here's why. Um and I'm sure those people are getting a lot more value out of me than the first people. So I've learned a lot about cold emailing, actually, and how to approach people who are influencers, who, you know, if you want to approach, I'm sure when you're doing your podcast, you get very good at approaching people who are famous or busy. Um, and it's an interesting problem of how you cold email people. It, it, it is. And it, yeah, again, it's it, when, when I do um, like events or or what. Um, my course, etc. It's what it's one of those most commonly asked questions. You know, how do you get really good guests on your show? Um, and yeah. I was just sharing a post yesterday that um, that I didn't say who the guest is because again, I know how these things fall apart. But you know, happen to get somebody who's um, you know one of the hottest um, NFL American football rising stars. You know, one of the hottest stars in all of American sports, you know, with an amazing wow. backstory of overcoming drug addiction. And, you know, cause I just, you can go for anyone who's, you know, successful in American sports, but somebody who's got a backstory of, you know, overcoming um, all of these yeah. things in their life of, you know, homelessness, drug addiction, you know, it's an unbelievable story. And it was literally um, as simple as sending an Instagram message, but um, equally I've done others and, you know, 
out of 50, nobody replies. Or yeah. you know, if you get a no, you, you get a dialogue then, don't you? So it's, Yeah, exactly. It's, it, 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 is, it is interesting. But, you know, I've been getting more and more messages now as, you know, the listenership grows of people asking for advice and, and stuff. And I've thought like you, I yeah. thought I wouldn't want to be... Um, like Joe Rogan, who gets six million downloads a month. Imagine how much communication he gets. Yeah. And I would have that guilt that I couldn't actually reply to everybody. Yeah, um, you want to help everybody, of course. Yeah, and at the moment I do, but people have to understand that it takes me a while to get back to them type thing. And I'm yeah. sure you're the same, especially if you're, you're travelling and you're trying to live your yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. I also think um, I wouldn't want to be a full-time YouTuber because to me it becomes too much like a job. Mm. Um, and the thing I like most about my life is that I am nowhere near a job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so if I don't do any work for three months, then maybe my income will start to go down, but no one will even notice. Um, and I really like that. Whereas with YouTube, if you're really committed to doing weekly videos and you have sponsored videos and clients that you're working with, um, to me that feels a lot more like a job. So I'm sure some people would love that as a job, but for me, that's just not the right fit. Yeah, and I I understand, you know, you're successful enough to be able to, um, you know, keep, keep this as your, you know, it, it supports you essentially in, you know, more than you probably could ever imagine five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and YouTube's cool because it really opens up doors. Like I've met some really interesting people and I think it is helpful to have an online profile where people can see, what you're like and people still give a lot of clout to having subscribers so yeah. there have been some people that I wanted to meet and I've sent them my YouTube channel and they've said yes because they kind of think like oh she's an influential person or she's clearly not crazy because I can watch videos of her here <laughs> so I think it does really help to have a bit of an online presence um, if you can it's definitely opened up some doors for me and I've made really awesome friends it's interesting isn't it it is very interesting because I'm exactly the same it's um it's opened so many doors and it's actually the people I've met and the opportunities that have come off the back of meeting yeah. those people. Um, I only wish I'd met some of them in person that were done online, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, you just, it doesn't always work out. It doesn't always align that you can be in the same place at the same time as I'm sure you can, uh, you can adhere to. Oh, a hundred percent. Awesome. Um, at last, uh, last couple of questions for you. Um, maybe let you get out into that snow at some point. Um, <laughs> if it's still there and it's not pitch black. Because um, you're four hours ahead, is that right? Yeah, so it's almost five o'clock. Okay. And how, how did you end up where you are now then in Georgia? Um, tell, tell us a story. We, I don't even remember, you know. A friend of a friend recommended it. <laughs> right, um, okay. We came out in the summer to have a look at the snow. Um, sorry, not to have a look at the snow, to have a look at the resort. Um, and we heard that it would be really good in the winter for skiing. And we've skied a lot in Europe. Um, but obviously Europe is like expensive and crowded. And so we heard that Georgia was the next hot place to come skiing. So we came last year for the whole season and it was totally awesome. Um, really cheap, hardly anybody on the slopes, really amazing quality snow, loads of off-piste, um, very friendly people, great food. So we're back again this year. Um, you so liked, yeah, it, so, you liked how... it so much you bought the country. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got a place out there. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we've got a place um, in the resort and it's great. It's ski in, ski out. Like, Epic. I feel like to get that in Europe would be way beyond our means. But in Georgia, yeah. here we are. Awesome. And it's only, is it like four hour flight, something like that? Yeah, you can fly mm. direct from London. Nice. Um, 
yeah, I think it's about four hours. Yeah, it's not very far at all. So my family have come last year. My husband's family came this year. We've got a bunch of friends coming to visit. So we're a one-man Georgian tourism board agency out here. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, and, and last thing, if people wanted to um, work with you, they've got an idea uh, for a course um, or they were interested in trying a digital nomad lifestyle um what would your answer be yeah absolutely (laughs) um i honestly believe that anyone can be a digital nomad um just when i think there's a job that you can't do as a nomad for example doctor um i meet someone who is a doctor and a nomad and i'm like how are you making this work so i think the world just gets more and more digital every day and there's so many jobs that you can do online now so i'm always singing the praises of nomad life um it definitely has its downsides you know if you if you're a real homebody and you like to see your parents every week then it's not going to be for you um but it's a very adaptable lifestyle so you can choose to not be more than two hours away from your hometown by flight or if you have a pet then you can choose to only travel by train or you know there's there's a way to make it work for everyone and that's what i love about it is that it's so customized but i think it's accessible to anyone who wants it um and it's been a pretty awesome adventure for us. We love it. Um, and yeah, then the second part, if you want to make a Unimi course, um, it's more competitive now than it used to be. But I think if you choose the right niche, then it's still a really amazing opportunity. And the income is totally passive. So I'm always working on releasing new courses. But my old courses, I do nothing to. I answer one or two student questions a week. Um, and it's more than enough for me to live full time. So if I wanted to, I could not work for the next two, three, four years probably. And I don't think my income would change very much. Um, but that's not me. I'm always creating more courses and working 50 hour weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And, and how could, um, easiest way for somebody to get into contact with you if they had an idea for a course and they wanted to find out how they could work with you? Yeah, probably. Um, I'm always on Instagram. So digital nomad girl is my Instagram. That's a great way to contact me. Um, if you don't have Instagram, then instead you can email me the digital nomad girl at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm available on pretty much all of the different mediums, obviously on Udemy. If you want to go check out my profile, you can just search Louise Croft and I'll come up on there. Um, YouTube digital nomad girl, all of those will get to my inbox at one way or one way or another. That is perfect. Um, I think we've pretty much covered everything. It sounds sounds epic. Sounds like you're having a great time, Um, and there's there's no age limit um, on what you do, other than you've got to be um, old enough to um, have permission to leave the country, (laughs) get get a job, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've actually met quite a few people who have become nomads um, once their children leave to go to university. I was going to follow up with Um, that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's actually the perfect time um, because you mostly have a lot more life skills than I do. So it's going to be easier for you to do freelance work or remote work um, because, you know, I was kind of fumbling around like, oh, maybe I can do PR, but I've never done it before. Yeah. Whereas if someone has kids that are at university age, then they're going to be, have years and years of expertise in their field. So I think it's easier to make an income. Um, and also you have more assets. You have a house that you can rent out mm. um, or do house swaps. Like I think there's so much um, opportunity there so once you don't have um kids relying on you as much anymore if they go off to university then i think it's an amazing time to become a nomad 
Perfect. Um, thank you so much for um, for sharing your your story with us, how how you got there, and how you're um, able to travel the world, um, earn an income that supports you, um, and yeah, do, do more of what you love, basically. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's an honour to be on this podcast with so many big names. Rob DeBank, come on! (laughs) So, how did you enjoy that one? Uh, Getting itchy feet? I know I am. I genuinely think I've missed my vocation in life. Um, Couldn't do it right now, given got uh, two girls in full-time education, but um, I did it a different way um, by joining Virgin Atlantic Airways straight after uni um, and traveling that way, getting paid to travel. So essentially I was working um, on an aeroplane, for those of you who don't know that part of my story, um, and eventually became a manager at Virgin. But to start with, that was my ticket to to see the world. And I'd I'd got um, a taste of it by working in the States um, in the summers while I was at uni, coaching tennis amongst um, other things. And decided that I loved America and I loved traveling. And that's when I decided that coaching was my ticket to be able to do that. and interestingly, yeah, Louise is coaching in a different way by creating courses. Um, but for me, yeah, that was that was my uh, way of, of doing it back then. You know, many many years before being uh, uh, some some kind of nomadic existence in that I was um, in the UK probably two to three days every week, and then out of the country uh, three to four days, uh, all over the world. I could be in Japan one week, South Africa, the next America, the Caribbean, Canada, all over the place. But I loved it. I loved it back then. Um, and I think this is a great way to do it, you know, in this, uh, online age that, uh, you know, whatever skills you've got, if you can turn them, um, to making money online, then you can essentially, um, as Louise says, um, earn a full-time income from anywhere in the world. I think it's a great thing to do if you're able to outsource a lot of the parts of your business, like last week's episode as well, um, with Sarah uh, talking about how the two co-founders were in different countries and then the HQ for the business, well and truly, was was in the UK in a third country. So it's doable, guys. Um, all depends what lifestyle you want, what your goals are. Um, but you know, you, you are able to do it. You can do it now. Um, you really can. And I'm a firm believer in this as well. I need to do more of this. I know documenting your journey, warts and all, and sharing it online. How many of you doing that? Sharing your startup journey or your podcast journey, your vlog, your blog, whatever it might be. Um, you know, your side hustle, whatever you're doing at the moment. Um, are you sharing it on social media? Um, are you documenting it so others can learn, people can follow? People love this kind of stuff. Um, you know, Louise's channel, Digital Nomad Girl, uh, some great episodes on there. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Really super interesting. Um, and last point was, well, you know, everybody has got a course in them. Um, Louise has collaborated with many people who, 
you know, perceived expert in their field um, and, you know, wasn't part of my plans, uh, you know, this time last year, but I now have a course to my name, uh, my podcasting course, my podcast launch program. Um, again, shameless plug, go and take a look at avid.fm forward slash Alex Chisnell. So it's avid.fm and my podcasting course um, is on there. Um, if you would like to learn how to create and launch your own podcast. So I am living proof. Everybody has got a course in them, no matter what your specialist uh, knowledge might be. So hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I certainly did. Hope that's inspired you. Maybe look at things in a different way. It's not always as cut and dried as we think it is. Uh, the workspace is becoming ever more flexible and the world is becoming ever more smaller and it's time for us to embrace it all. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you. If you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org, I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.